We're going to study the book of Mark, uh, which I'm pretty excited about. It's a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four gospels tell the story of Jesus with a little bit different views, and we'll talk about that in a minute. I'm just wondering if anybody's brave enough, I won't make you stand like Gabe did, but have any of you studied the book of Mark? If so, raise your hand. We got a couple in the back row. That is awesome. Uh, Because Mark is actually the least studied gospel of all four. Doesn't mean it's not studied. It doesn't mean it's not good. It's the least studied. I thought that was a really interesting fact this week as we were praying over and preparing our sermon and, and kind of looking into the history of the book and, and, and just the tendencies of pastors and, and, and people who study and preach on this. It's the least. So it, it doesn't surprise me that there's only a couple. I may lean on you guys for information, uh, you know, because you guys have studied it before, but we're really excited about this. We are. Um, as, we, as we look at the book of Mark, we wanted to go through just kind of 30,000 foot view um, of that book first. And uh, it is a gospel, which you talked about. Literally, gospel means good news or a proclamation of good news. It came to mean a genre of literature talking, uh, describing the uh, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, This seems to be the first one that was written out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, probably in the, in the, mid uh, to late 50s, maybe even uh, 60s AD, uh, which isn't very long after uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, And uh, the author, as you might guess, his name was Mark. Actually, it was John. John Mark. Mark. Um, He throws everybody for a loop, going by his middle name. Some people do that. (laughs) Like mine. Yeah. When I'm in a restaurant, I go by danger. (laughs) Stop it. John Mark was a friend of Paul's. It's just to embarrass my daughter. Oh, which is that what it is? Wonderfully, I love that. Yeah, that is pretty cool. I wish Abby was in here because I would point her out to everybody. But she's helping with the kids. John Mark was a friend of Paul uh, and 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 a companion or a, a voice of Peter. So a lot of people think that he got a lot of his information through Peter. And so he was speaking with, with kind of that authority as he wrote, obviously under the authority of the Holy Spirit, but he was, he was connected closely with those who are right there ground level, talking, preaching, teaching people about Jesus Christ. Yeah. Even though he was not one of the original 12 uh, disciples. Yeah. He had a pretty good source. He did. And, 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 and so he used that source, but he wrote the shortest gospel, the shortest one. And, and we'll see that as we're studying through this. It's really exciting. He doesn't waste words. Oh, he moves. If you talk to me, you know that I just, I talk and I waste words. Five minute conversation that should have happened could be a half hour, right? I mean, I waste words. Dave, you know this, come on. But but Mark is very concise, and I think that's going to be really uh, great as we're working our way through this uh, shortest gospel. And then also, uh, like I said before, not to take any credit away from it, but it's just the, it's the gospel that's least preached in churches, not just nationwide, but really around the world. Uh, and, and, and 
I think some of it's that conciseness of it. As pastors, we like to have all the details. We like to have a lot to share with you and give you. And Mark's just a little more concise. But that is one of the reasons that the four of us, uh, Dave, myself, Drew, and Kevin, got really excited about Mark. We're like, we haven't done a ton of studying in this. Um, you know, let's, let's do this thing. So we're just going to make up details as we go. Uh, the recipients are uh, Gentiles. Um, there are a number of places in the book of Mark that make it really clear that he's explaining terms um, and explaining cultural things that would be a little bit foreign uh, to someone who wasn't a Jew. And so um, it, the writing seems to have taken place in Rome and to that Roman uh, Gentile or non-Jew culture. Yeah. And he certainly, he certainly focuses quite a bit on the suffering of Jesus. Uh, some people think that uh, Mark was writing to a church that was in the middle of some persecution, uh, going through some hard times, which may may be true, um, but the thing that we see as, as the theme overall of the book of Mark, and that others do as well, is this call to follow Jesus, to be a disciple, to come and follow me, and that's the theme that we'll keep uh, going to over and over again in this book. Yes, yeah, so we read through it, prayed over it, that was definitely kind of where we landed. Come follow me, the invitation of Jesus, and it's the invitation he extends to us uh, even today. So when you take a step back and you look at the four gospels, we kind of talked about that, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see that there were four different, very unique books written. The authors, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit, but they were, they were written for a reason, for a purpose. And for a lot of us, that's why we kind of, if, if we've been Christians for a while, if we spent some time in the Gospels, we'll kind of like move and gravitate towards a favorite one. So I don't know if you're at that place yet where you've read them all and, and processed through them all. And I really love the book of John. Uh, and that's kind of where I like to camp if I'm going to be reading about Jesus. So I don't know if you have your own personal preference, but that's kind of the where I would fall. Matthew is written to Jews, right? And, and, and it, telling them that Jesus is the Messiah who fulfills the Old Testament property, prophecy. So important because the Jews were waiting for a specific looking Messiah uh, and they were wrong. Their, their thinking was a little bit wrong. They wanted somebody who was going to come in and, and get them out from under the thumb, the oppressive thumb of the Roman Empire. And so Matthew says, no, 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 no. This is the Messiah. This is what all the Old Testament prophecies pointed towards was Jesus. And, and so that's what Matthew really focuses in on. Right. Mark, again, as we've talked about writing to uh, Romans, that Jesus is the suffering Savior who ministers on our behalf, gives his life as a ransom for uh, the many. Luke's written to the Greeks, telling them that Jesus is the perfect son of man. That's kind of where he camps in, who, who came to save and to minister to all the people through the power of the Holy Spirit, so that Jesus Christ came here for that particular reason. And John's uh, kind of the different one, usually. Um, John's written to the world, um, telling that, Je that Jesus is the fully God, fully man, um, person that we must believe in to have eternal life. And so as we go through Mark, um, there are some things that are different in Mark. Um, the other Gospels seem to add on to the Mark's material. Um, so you don't see some different things, like there aren't genealogies. Uh, there's not a birth story. Um, but, uh, but what there is is an, a challenge. 
and that is the come follow me challenge that Jesus extends. So with all that defined, here we go. We're going to start at the beginning, the beginning of the book. And, and in Mark, we're going to see that the beginning isn't actually the beginning. Well, I think in life, sometimes the beginning is not really the beginning. And this was fun to talk about this week. Well, yeah. You think about, you think about marriage. Uh, your marriage didn't start on your wedding day. I mean, not, not really. really. Right? It started when you met. Your first date, when you fell in love, working through your first argument, right? It even started before you met, as you grew up and developed your character, and uh, and your spouse did the same, and have experiences that form you. And if but, you think think about that, you know, and then you go kind of global, you think about like wars. Wars don't necessarily just start. It takes years and and sometimes decades to develop you know, this, this difference in political standing or, or the events that lead up to it, all the emotions that are involved and all the things that are happening then bring us to this point where it actually erupts and, and a war begins, right? It's not just like they wake up that morning and say, hey, we're going to go to war with, you know, you. Me? Whoever it might be. Oh. I didn't want to pick out a particular one. You know what I'm saying, though. Yeah. And, and so or, the Gospel of Mark kind of starts this way. It's kind of a... a, a, a uh, where it gives a little bit of the background as to how we get to the beginning. Well, so if you were going to start a, a story about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, where would you start? Uh, it's interesting. Um, some of the Gospels start different places. Uh, Matthew starts in a genealogy, tracing Jesus' roots all the way back to Abraham. All right, Luke uh, starts with the prophecies about uh, the birth of, of John the Baptist and of Jesus. That's where we get you know, the most details about Jesus' birth. Um, John, again, throws everybody kind of for a loop. He starts at the beginning, like the beginning, like before the world was even created. Um, so where would you start? Well, you have to start somewhere, and Mark starts at a beginning, a beginning. He, With those words, in fact. Exactly. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each account of Jesus' life it, 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 it is known as a gospel, right? The four that we have, but it's not necessarily starting just with that birth. And, and so he starts out here. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Well, so Mark starts by quoting some prophecy that was written several hundred years earlier um, and seems to appropriate it to the coming of a man named John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. Um, the quote, of course, is ambiguous enough, as sometimes prophecy is, that it seems to also refer to Jesus, who is the person who will ultimately deliver the message and prepare the way for salvation. What I love here is Mark's pulling uh, these prophecies out of the Old Testament. The quote is actually put together from a few different prophecies throughout the Old Testament. So if you're taking notes today, you can write these places down. But uh, the, what he's providing here in verse 3 comes out of Isaiah 40, verse 3. And, and verse 2, it comes out of a, a section in Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And, and God is keeping and There's also his some hints word. of Exodus in there as well. Right, yeah, Exodus 23. 
And, and so if you know that, but what, what we see here is God's keeping his word. God has made promises to his people. And Mark, John Mark wants to point that out and say, this is what they were talking about. This is why this story should be listened to, should be believed, because he's pointing back to what, what, what was, had been prophesied hundreds of years before and giving them that context. Well, the prophecy can have several different applications. Um, I've, I've heard biblical prophecy described um, like a mountain range. Um, if, you're, if you're going down to Hawks Prairie, there's that section of I-5 where you can look off into the distance at the Olympic Mountains when it's clear, so like three or four days a year. Um, you can see the Olympic Mountains. and This is our mountain range here. This is our Olympic mountain range, yeah. Um, but if you're, if you're standing from far away and you're, and you're looking at these mountains, they all kind of look about the same distance. And so if you think about a prophet from God who's receiving the words of God and he's writing down the words of God, um, in, in his mind, it might look like all of these things are one event. Right, just one, one big event, and so a prophetic letter would be looking at one thing. And yet, when you get a little bit closer, these are not the same distance, and sometimes there's a mountain um, and, a, and a fulfillment of prophecy and then a, a deeper fulfillment of prophecy or a little bit different further on in history. And so um, when we look at, at quotations of prophecy in the New Testament, sometimes there very much was an immediate context to that prophecy um, that either also applied um, to the coming of Jesus, uh, either his first coming or second coming, and, um, or, it can, or it can be pointed specifically at Jesus' coming. So again, there was probably a context here, or there was a context for these prophecies, but Mark seemed to equate that to um, yeah, a, a perfectly appropriate application for John and preparing as, as um, God takes his people and prepares them for salvation. Right. So as we kind of are laying this groundwork of Mark, who the author was, when it was written, why it was written, and now these first early verses, the prophecies, you might be sitting there going, okay, so why are... I understand what you're saying, but why are they really important to me? Like, what, what effect does it have, or what effect does this have on my life? Well, there are a couple things that you want to consider. There are over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled as the Messiah. So in the Old Testament, things that were written about Jesus, there are over 300 of them that were written hundreds of years prior to him coming that he fulfilled. And so that can give you assurance and confidence as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ. You can take your Bible and you can say, what was prophesied about came true. And it was over 300 different ones. 27% of the Bible is prophecy. And so if we believe that God inspired these writers, Old Testament and New Testament, what God's heart is, is what ours should be. And so if God took the time to give these words to these prophets... It should be something that we are willing to look at and study and, and, and say, how should this affect me? God's heart should be my heart. And for every prophecy in Scripture concerning Christ's first coming, there are eight prophecies about Christ's second coming. Now, this means hope for your future. So if you're here today and you're a Christian and you're like, yeah, I believe there were prophecies and I believe that Jesus Christ came, Jesus Christ is coming again. 
And if you believe the prophecies and that Jesus came, you need to believe the prophecies about him returning. So if you're ever sitting out there going, man, this world is cruddy. Maybe God is not going to come back. He's not going to send Jesus back to redeem his people. No, you can have confidence that, that eight times as often God talks about the final return of Jesus Christ when he comes back to redeem his own. And that is exciting. That gives me hope about the future. Well, and the, um, one of the things that Mark was talking about was the appearance of John. Uh, we read that John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Well, this is, this is interesting, um, uh, this baptism of repentance. What we need to remember is that the sacrificial system for Israel was still in place. There was a temple um, at the time when, uh, when John appeared, and there was a sacrificial system that God had set in place for Israelites to deal with sin. And yet here is John coming out um, and baptizing people for uh, repentance. So they were, they were out there in the River Jordan confessing their sins, uh, being dunked under, and, and um, being cleansed, so to speak, um, through this ritual. Um, this wasn't a new thing necessarily. Uh, baptism had been in existence. Um, I understand that that those converting to Judaism would often be baptized. They would walk into something called a mikvah. There were steps down. Um, you'd go through this water and steps up. And um, again, it was, it was for ritually cleansing, obviously not actually cleansing if you're, you know, a bath person. I don't know what bath people do. Sitting in their own filth, it's I don't weird. Know. I don't I'm not know. a bath I, person. I'm a shower, I'm a shower person. Always that would make a lot more sense for the cleanliness for right. me. You walk symbolism. into the shower, it showers you. But You're yeah, done, even, but. even for the Jews as they were coming in, uh, kind of like if you, were, if you were converting to Judaism, but also even just Jews coming in to, to do, uh, you know, to offer a sacrifice would go through a ritual of baptism to cleanse themselves, to purify themselves, even though that did nothing for them. It was, it was part of what they did. And so here, John was doing something that they knew about, but he was doing it differently. It was slightly different. Yeah, he didn't. Wa- they, people weren't walking up going, I have no clue what this guy's doing. First of all, he's dressing crazy, which we'll get to in a minute, and acting crazy, but he's like dunking people in the water. They knew what this was. He was just doing it now in, in, a, in a manner of repentance, forgiveness being extended, that, that, that pointing towards a higher, uh, a higher connection with God in a different way. He was one of a voice crying out in a wilderness, prepare the way, God is coming soon. Different than the voice that was going on in the temple. Well, I think one of the significant differences also in this baptism was that John was doing the baptism. Uh, when we do baptisms as a church, we, we have somebody else baptize that person. Why? Because it completes that symbolism of, of being cleansed. Uh, because we can't do it ourselves. So there is a picture of, of cleansing yourself as you walk down into a mikvah and come back out. But having somebody else do that is just that beautiful picture of reliance on someone else, um, ultimately Jesus, of being able to cleanse us and forgive us from our sins. Um, so I love, I love that picture um, that John was, is uh, providing for us. 
when we confess our sins, it means that we're in agreement with God about our sins. And, and that was a change from the, the Jewish system before. They knew God's standards, and they knew if they failed that there was a consequence. And, and a, for a lot of those sins, it was sacrifice. It was a, a bringing in a, a lamb or a dove or whatever it might be. There was a cost to it, and, and God's standard didn't change, but people knew that if I did A, that this would be the consequence. And what John was saying is, I, I want you to view your relationship with God differently. This was like what God was going for in the Old Testament. John was now verbalizing to the people. God cares about you. He loves you. And he doesn't want you to sin because that's not the best for you. Okay. And so it was being articulate, the same truth about God and sin and his people was being articulated in a different way. And John was saying, I want you to hate sin as much as God hates sin. I don't want you to know that you can do something and just pay for it with a lamb. I want your heart to become more like God and agree with God about sin, what is evil. And, and the confession part of that, the, the willingness to change, that's where one of the big differences was. And that's where John's pointing people. And that's exciting. Well, and even though John was maybe outside the sacrificial system and, and kind of the setup that Israel had, um, it still is, is pointing to God. Right? It's still very reliant on God. John wasn't the one who was forgiving sin. It was pointing people uh, towards God. And I think that, that humility is easy to be seen in the way that John uh, conducts himself. As we read here, uh, Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. I love this in, in Mark. Like, he, he passes by all sorts of interesting details. There's but minimal we, details. But we do know John's wardrobe, yes. which is awesome, and eating habits. I encourage Dave to wear that today and to have some wild honey and, you know, locusts and have it, but he... I was afraid you were going to, and then oh, we would match. We would be yeah. matched, that's true. Uh, it, in verse 7, and he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So I love this. John was an interesting fella. I, I, I think even as a kid, I remember the flannel graphs. They had, you know, he had kind of crazy hair, you know, on him that he was wearing and the camel's hair clothing and that sort of thing. And, and what he ate, you know, this wild honey, the idea of like tearing down a bee's hive and opening it up and eating right out of it with bees flying around. Just kind of crazy. But we can't get... Like, we can't lose focus on just that because no matter how crazy John was or how different he was, he understood his role, right? He was preparing the way for the Lord. God had come to him. God had called him and said, I need you to do this. This is what I'm calling you to do. And John said, okay. And one thing that I really liked about this this week as I was thinking about this and praying about this is no matter who you are, how you uh, act, how you dress, right, how you interact with people, how you make friends, introvert, extrovert, whatever you might be, God has called you the way that you are to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. So if you place your faith in Jesus, no matter who you are, no matter how you dress, no matter how you act, just like John, you've been called to do something. God has a role for you 
in his plan, just like John. And John says, I understand my role. I don't need to change. I don't need to look like them, but I'm going to be faithful to what God has called me. And 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 I don't need to be the big deal. No. John wasn't the big deal. His job was just to point others to Jesus. And that's what we do, Dave. We aren't the big deal. We aren't the big deal. We point people to Jesus Christ, the big deal. That's really cool. I like to think that if John were alive today, he would have that he is greater than I bumper sticker on the back of his VW bus. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm sure the exhaust would be great on that thing for for your trees. (laughs) Um, Anyway, his his big deal was... um, was preparing the way for a new way and a new baptism even. Um, so John's role was baptizing people uh, in a baptism of repentance, um, but he knew, uh, he knew that Jesus was going to come and was going to baptize people with the Holy Spirit and usher in this entirely new in one way relationship um, with God um, through the Holy Spirit. Picking up in verse 9, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. I love that, torn open. And the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well Please. So here we see uh, again Luke moving. He's moving kind of quick. He's he's you know he's going from from action to action is the way I like to look at it. And here we see Jesus. It's time for Jesus to set an example. He did not need to be baptized, but it was the start of his ministry. He came, and, and here we yeah, see. Yeah, there would have been Jesus. the shortest confession of sin ever. Right, he had none. I but got go nothing. ahead, go ahead and dunk <laughs> me. Right, he's the one person that was born ever in this world that didn't need to confess sins, didn't need to be saved, didn't need to be baptized. Right. And yet the God man who says to us through the author Mark, through the book of Mark here that we're reading and we're going to be studying, he says, come follow me. And so like any good leader, like any good uh, example, he went into the river and he was baptized by John. Uh, and, and so it kind of, he's showing this picture and he's saying, this is where we are calling you now into this sort of a relationship. And that once you place your faith in, in me, ultimately in, in God and, and in a God that loves you enough that wants to have that relationship with you, I'm going to give you the example of baptism. And that's why we as a church still celebrate with people when they choose to follow Jesus in the step of baptism. So it does mark a, a beginning or a pre-beginning of his ministry um, and also an event marking God's uh, relationship with and approval of his son. In this baptism event, um, all three persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are involved at the same time in different roles. So even though the words are few, there are a lot of things to pick up on. Mark moves uh, the story along quickly. So again, we're seeing more scene changes, a lot of things. uh, And and he's going to indicate immediately. And then this happened, and then immediately. And and, and so we're going to see that throughout Mark, right? He's, He's short. He's to the point. And here we are in verse 12. It says, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And when he was uh, with the wild animals 
and the angels were ministering to him. So here we see the account of the temptation of Jesus. Now, this same account was in Matthew 4 and a lot more detail, but here Mark moves through it pretty quickly. Uh, And and so we see this pre-beginning of Jesus' ministry, him being baptized by John. Then he moves into this time, this season, this 40 days of being tempted by Satan. Or tested. Um, That's another way of of, uh, translating that word. Um, Mark doesn't share what happens um, or even the results of, uh, of enduring that temptation, although there is a pretty fair assumption that Jesus passed. I mean, he, <laughs> he, he just doesn't feel the need to say, and he passed. That's extra words, right? Um, but this is, this is uh, another example of prophecy in salvation history, uh, recalling Israel's time in the wilderness for 40 years, uh, in that case, not days, um, but that was following their deliverance uh, from slavery in Egypt, and they were tested during that time in the wilderness. They failed um, over and over again, and yet here Jesus succeeds. Um, but I love, how, I love how God's plan is just intricately woven throughout um, history. It shows off his, all the omnis, right? His omniscience and omnipotence and omnipresence, um, He's big and good, um, and, that's, and that's what we can love and appreciate about our God. Well, and one of the things as we were looking at the, the, the example of the baptism and those sorts of things, here we see really another example of Jesus going before us. No matter what's going on in your life right now, no matter what those tests are, those trials, those temptations, whatever they might be, we have a Savior who went before us. And even though we'll trip and we'll fall and we'll stumble, uh, God is there with us the entire time. He's there to pick us up, but he has given us an example to strive to be like so that we can know, right, that we can be a little more like Jesus than we were the day before us, right? In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, right? Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and because Jesus went through those temptations, those trials, those testings, and and passed, we in our sin and our frailty can approach him in such a way that he is there for us, and he wants us to find success. So we can, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. And I don't know if you are in a time of need right now, but I know that a lot of us find ourselves there. And we have Jesus Christ, our Savior, inviting us to come to him in our failure. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to have it all together. He's saying, I'm strong enough for us all. I have it all together. Come to me. And that's what we see here really in Hebrews 4, um, hearkening back there to Mark. So again, sometimes the beginning isn't always uh, the beginning. Uh, the beginning of, of the gospel or the good news was not the beginning of Jesus' ministry or even his birth. The beginning of the good news was immediately 
after the bad news occurred. That God began working out the gospel ever since sin entered the world. Actually, probably before sin entered the world, God was already working that out. And as we look all the way back to the beginning, like the real beginning of this world, we see some of these, um, these parallels where Satan tempted or tested Eve, and she failed, as did Adam. Satan tempted Jesus, and he succeeds. Right? When Adam and Eve sinned, death was the result. Death of an animal to cover their nakedness. Eventually, Adam and Eve had to die. Uh, actually, death came to every single person as a result of sin, and ultimately to reconcile a sinful humanity to God, Jesus was going to have to die. And yet when he did, it ushered in the ability for those who believe in him to be saved. All of human history is leading up to this point where Jesus finally and thoroughly defeats Satan, sin, and death. Now he already has through the cross and, the, and his resurrection, but that, that uh, defeat is not in its final form. We still have something to look forward to. That's that last mountain. We're about here, right, in history. Um, but God has accomplished it, will accomplish it, and we can put our faith in that um, because he's come through on every single other thing that he's ever said he was going to do in the past. And so I, I hope that if as you're looking at this introduction, that you were kind of struck with the same profoundness of God's plan as we were. This idea that there's nothing haphazard about the way that God um, works, that his timing is appropriate and it's perfect. He's not caught off guard by things that we do, scrambling to find some kind of solution to the mess that is us, but that in love... He's been actively at work bringing about salvation ever since humans have needed it. And so I I love that profoundness of um, even just the way that Mark begins this book of looking just a little bit further back than we would typically expect because I think that's an application for us that as we're here in the midst of some of these mountains We have a tendency, I think, sometimes to just look at the present and the future. And really, we tend to look at at things as one big giant mountain range. We want to know everything. Um, We want it all at once. We want to understand everything. And that's not exactly how God works. And so I think as as we're in this middle part, it's helpful for us to look back at what God has done, how he has been working to look forward to what he said he will do and accomplish. And that's that beautiful resting place. Even though things around us might be very valley-like, um, that, we can, that we can look forward to how God is going to work this out. So as each one of us thinks about where we're at with our relationship with God, 
like Dave's encouragement to look back to where, you know, it began, but even further back, you know, I mean, there are steps that we sometimes attribute to placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and they're important. We need to realize that we've sinned. We need to acknowledge that we have fallen short of God's perfect standard and and that we need to come to Jesus for help and and then we need to confess that sin and we need to ask God for the mercy that he is graciously ready to just lavish upon you and and at that point where you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ you you have that eternal salvation one that is secure and as you're looking at your life and as you're looking at following Jesus Christ uh you know he calls you not only to come follow me and place your faith in him, but he gives us the examples. And we're going to see that throughout this study. And in one of them, it's, it's baptism. Again, we don't have a baptismal here at the school, so it makes it a little more difficult. But a couple times a year, we offer that. We rent a pool or we go to a lake. And, and yet, it's a, it's a step in your Christian walk where you are stepping out and saying, I want to publicly acknowledge that I'm following Jesus Christ. And so for a lot of us, we've done that. Uh, But there may be a few of you sitting out there that are like, hey, I believe this, and and yet I'm ready to take that next step. And if that's you today, come talk to Dave or myself, and we can start looking towards that, that next opportunity when we get together. Because we have that public profession of faith, and it's a thankful obedience The baptism itself doesn't save you, but what it says is I want everyone to know that I have made this decision. And and, and it gives us that picture, kind of like what John was calling these people to, the idea of confessing and changing our direction from embracing the rebellion and the sin to following after Jesus Christ. And and so, again, in in our lives, you and me, we're going to have these different opportunities We're going to have these different chances to follow in obedience and to become the men and the women that God has called us to be. And these steps are important. And and, and so we, we want to challenge you as we go through this book each week to take something from that and become a little bit more like Jesus.